welcome. This is Blazing Business Trails, where we discuss the challenges and issues for leaders in the professional, legal, real estate, recruitment and educational services. We talk to industry experts, analysts and people from the business services sector to get their insights, perspectives and learnings. I'm Sarah Paul. And I'm Kovinda Hari. And in this episode, we're talking about disruption, especially in professional services with some fantastic guests. We've got Richard Metcalf, Senior Regional Vice President, Strategic Accounts at Salesforce, and Matthew Jones, Fellow in Professional Services, Leadership and Strategy, Cambridge Judge Business School at the University of Cambridge. What a fantastic conversation we had too. There's so much, we have split it into two. This episode is all around disruption and AI. We're going to hear from Matthew and, and Richard talk about how data, pattern recognition, artificial intelligence, robotic process automation are all going to be technologies that professional services firms are going to have to look at as as this industry starts to disrupt and transform itself. Yeah, great. So we touch on all elements of technology, talent, clients and market dynamics, I believe, in this one, but all homing in on the AI side. So welcome, Richard, again. <laughs> We've had you before on the show. And to Matthew, welcome to the show. Thank you. Great to be back. Thanks for having me. So firstly, Richard, can you tell us about your collaboration and how you came about meeting each other? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I run a, a sales team here within within Salesforce, um, within the uh, professional services and business services team. And um, we were simply looking for ways um, to increase our knowledge around professional services firms um, a little while ago. Um really just to become more relevant to uh, the industry, understand a little bit more about some of the trends, uh, some of the language, um, some of the things that we should be thinking about as we approach uh, clients and and, and prospective clients. And uh, one of my team uh, found found, uh, a course that Matthew leads at, uh, at Cambridge Judge Business School, uh, on on leadership in professional services firms, so so we approached the the team there at Cambridge, um, and we, it was a great looking course aimed particularly at uh, professional service firms leaders, uh, and we thought great this this could be a great way for us to to understand a little bit more about what's going on in the industry, uh, and uh, and and then of course the dreaded COVID struck. And uh, that that put us into a world where we we couldn't attend the course as it was in its in its form, um, but we worked with Matthew and and the team around Matthew uh, to actually build out something bespoke. And um, we we're so so grateful for for everything that Matthew and the team did. It was absolutely brilliant to turn a, a course which is aimed at professional services firm leaders uh, and 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 pivot it, invert it slightly. To be relevant to us as a as a sales organisation, um, and uh, and ran something very very bespoke uh, hadn't been done at Salesforce before. I don't think it'd been done at Cambridge before either. Matthew, you can you can correct me on that. Um, no, it's a unique experience for us too. <laughs> brilliant. So all all trailblazing as we as we went along and created this new course. Uh, and we we spent a few days with you. I think uh, in July it was. Uh, learning with some of your colleagues about some of the trends. And it was, uh, as I say, a fantastic experience. And we're very, very grateful for, for what we what we took away from that and learned from it. It was a great learning experience for us as well, actually, you know, Richard, because, um, you know, it was good to take us outside our, our usual operating zone of working with 
professional service owned leaders and to work with a business like yours that you know, interacts with in that way. So it was a really interesting experience for us. Great. And I've heard so much positive feedback. So, uh, yeah, brilliant. And it brings us on to our topic today, which is our professional services firms disruption proof. So, Matt, we're going to talk about disruption today. Um, but before we get into the details of what, what that looks like for business services customers in the United Kingdom, can you just describe what disruption is and what it means to you? Yeah, it's, it's a great question, Cully, because it actually it has you know, so many dimensions to it. I, I think the first thing to say is that disruption is, is very much linked with innovation, change and discontinuity, and also perhaps something non-trivial. It's probably mostly associated, in people's minds at least, uh, with some sort of step change in technology. You know, for example, one could look at, you know, the Gartner definition of digital disruption, which talks about changes uh, regarding the fundamental expectations and behaviours in a culture, a market or a process or an industry. Um, And to that, I might also add, uh, you know, something that's materially changing capabilities. It also might refer to something that drives the creation of entirely new markets or or areas of demand, new consumer expectations and so on. So it's not just a change to something that already exists. Um, It can be the creation of something new. Obviously, we stay with technology as a disruptor. Many examples out there that we're all very familiar with, you know, DVDs to streaming, conventional mail to email, in-store shopping to to online shopping. But I think... um, you know, it's not always about technology. These days, technology is, is often, if you like, at the scene of the crime in terms of disruption. But sometimes it's perhaps more accomplice than perpetrator. There are other sources of disruption beyond technology, which I think can be just as important, um, you know, such as fundamentally rethinking the customer value proposition, um, major shifts in buyer-seller dynamics in a particular industry, and so on. So I, I think there are many aspects to it. And it also implies, I think, something around winners and losers, some degree of trauma. Um, and, uh, you know, so, so, so this idea of, of, of major disturbance to the status quo, I think, is a key idea around what we call disruption. Can I ask you, does that mean that for disruption to occur, technology's got to be a driver? Or can you have disruption without tech? I, I, I think it's, you know, it's increasingly a, a feature, but it, it, it's certainly true also that I think it can happen in, independently of, of technology. And, you know, the, the, I think there are numerous examples that I mentioned some just now. Another one might be, you know, regulation or indeed deregulation. Um, that's entirely independent of technology. Um, or it could be something that we're all quite familiar with recently, such as a pandemic, you know, uh, which obviously drives huge change. Or indeed, bigger you know world events um, such as climate change and all of the issues that that's driving. So you know there are definitely non-tech drivers of disruption. I think. So you, Richard, um, innovation was mentioned there. We did a podcast a couple of months back with Ismail Amala from from Capita, and where we honed in on that topic. Now, does disruption have to be big? Or does it simply just mean in change the status quo, which Matthew mentioned? I'm, I'm going to vigorously agree with with Matthew. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I think um, d- disruption and and, uh, and innovation are, are just two different sides of the same coin. Uh, you know, and and disruption creates the, the 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 need for innovation, and innovation in its own right creates disruption as well. Um, 
frankly, I think it's happening all the time, and it's and it's happened. It's, you know, it's, it's happened since Lucy, right? You know, <laughs> the dis- disruption, whether that be climate change, whether that be changes in um, geopolitical circumstances, whether that's changes in technology, just comes comes at us all the time. And uh, you know, I think I read something earlier today. I think it was that it was the the Romans that um, domesticated the the horse. 5,000 years ago, and that created dis- disruption, and then it got disrupted when Ford created the, 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 the car or created the, the, the mass market of the car. So I think it's it's something which is going on all the time. It's been going on all the time. I do wonder whether disruption and innovation as a consequence is just happening a lot faster at the moment and is happening at a rate of change that we haven't seen before. Um you know, for, you know, the man on the moon only fifty odd years ago. That's quite incredible compared to that, those horses five thousand years ago. J- just change is happening at an incredible, um, incredible speed, um, and and we've just got to kind of kind of live with it and and get used to it and um, and and deal with it. And and I think that is that's kind of hard as well, right? You know, when when things are changing so quickly. How how easy is it for organisations and, and and people to to keep up? So Matthew, I know that you coach and consult uh, leaders. Do you think that leaders are a big influence in disruption here? Yeah, absolutely. They have a, a major role to play, Sarah. I mean, I I, I wouldn't be one in, in terms of leaders to, to 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 advocate disruption for disruption's sake. You know. A, disruptive path has to be the right one to take in the context of the leader's vision and strategy for the business. But I think, you know, in the current environment, it is also fairly safe to say that that one of the imperatives for leaders, you know, in today's high flux environment that we've just been talking about is to create conditions for innovations and therefore potentially disruptions that have, you know, traction and impact and are supported by a culture and indeed expectation of client-centric thinking and continuous improvement. So, you know, I think that's a real role of the leader. And, you know, there's plenty of wisdom on this, some of which is rather well-worn. You, know, you either improve or deteriorate. Uh, you know, the, the quote about tyranny being, uh, the, the status quo um, being a tyranny, as it were, um, all of those sorts of things all, all speak to a need to constantly move forward uh, and, and not stand still. And, you know, so that change imperative for leaders is, is very clear. But, you know, to your point, is it necessary to disrupt as part of that? I mean, I think that really does depend on the trajectory and dynamics of your business and marketplace. But I don't, you know, at any point want that to suggest, uh, if you like, complacency on my part. Uh, I just think that, you know, the desire or decision to disrupt for its own sake, if that sort of sits outside the the guiding framework of of a coherent vision and strategy for the business, that seems to me to at least risk falling on stony ground. Do you think that that disruption, though, can be part of that vision and strategy, kind of like built into the DNA to say, actually, we are going to constantly relook at ourselves as an organisation and and have kind of disruption as part of that mission statement? Yeah, I think so. I think most definitely, Richard. Um, you know, whether that's something that needs to be present all the time, I think is is you know debatable. But it certainly feels to me like a very healthy habit to have particularly in you know such a fast-moving environment on all fronts so so matthew do leaders have disruption in their in their dna so let's take 
and a couple of examples, Steve Jobs and Elon Musk. Do, do you think they had disruption in their mind at the offset or is what's transpired uh, just a by-factor of their approach? Yeah, it's such a great question, Cully. And, I, you know, hard to generalise. I mean, I think, I think what stands out to me about the sort of individuals you mentioned is, first and foremost, the vision that they had. And, you know, the implementation of that involved various things, including disruptive ideas. So I, I kind of start with the, with the vision piece, um, you know, an intense focus on, um, you know, rethinking what the client needs in a particular area, in that case, um, personal computing, whatever it may be. You know, uh, th- th- those, those ideas are drivers of thinking which involve disruptive activity. That's the way I sort of prefer to look at it. How do you see this particular industry evolving through technology and what are the drivers for disruption? Yeah, so I, you know, I think here, Kelly, we need to step back almost and look at the whole issue of how digital transformation is impacting professional service firms in its widest sense. You know, as we've all witnessed, there's been an accelerated and um, exponential increase in the adoption of technology across the infrastructure spectrum within firms. Large areas of front, mid and back office have increasingly been digitised and virtualised, and of course, even more so with the pandemic-induced shift to, to mass remote working. And that digitization is enabling and driving much more precision and measurability in terms of services, data, delivery, performance and satisfaction. And in turn, that, I think, is supercharging those AI-driven capabilities in pattern recognition, real-time analytics, prediction and extraction. Not simply in terms of the volumes of data that can be processed, by the way, but also the velocity at which this could be done. And so in combination, these developments, you know, um, when driven by a continuing revolution in processing power and the consequent redefining of capabilities, that, that, that will then lead inevitably to the creation of new areas of business opportunity and competition. And when you put all of these things in the mixing bowl, they in turn generate a compounding spiral of innovations, multi-dimensional impacts, and of course, exponential change. So for the professional services sector, you know, the implications of all this are huge. And when we talk about technology, too often the conversation begins and ends with AI and advanced machine learning. But let's also not forget you know, a whole stack of other things out there that are very impactful in terms of technology, indirectly or directly, um, uh, affecting not just professional services, because many other sectors, but certainly professional services, um, you know, 5G, Wi-Fi 6, blockchain, virtual augmented reality, advanced robotics, maybe one day quantum computing, maybe one day brain machine interface, you know, etc. So this affects all sectors, really, doesn't it? It's not just professional services. And, and I think that's that's you know very very much the case, Sarah. Uh, but there will be you know particular and direct implications within each of those sectors that will have you know a very sector-based flavour to it. And it's it's that the disruptive power of any one of these things, and then in combination with all the others, which I think is is is, is going to be so um, important and significant, and already is. You talked about some interesting things there: five G, Wi Fi augmented reality, quantum computing. I think, Rich, we've seen AI play an important role in the way our customers want to engage with and build experiences. Your thoughts around AI? A, a huge a huge topic. Um, AI means lots of different things to, to different people. Um, it can mean that kind of basic, static, respond to a, 
request um, kind kind of uh, technology all the way through to sentient be- beings and you know the the ultimate the, you know the terminators of the, <laughs> of the fictional world coming through where i think we're we're hopefully a little way off of those just yet um but we see ai coming through in in all sorts of different ways in in uh in organizations um you know if we turn to financial services as an example goldman have have re- recently said how they're going to start bringing in more RPA, robotic process automation, into uh, into the organisation to help some of the junior staff with 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 automated tasks. Um, we see it being used in you know innovative, but I'd say kind kind of small ways. Um, one, one professional services firm that that we're working with uh, is using sentiment analysis on on survey results to become even more relevant to to its clients um so so there are different sort of nuances around how you can can use data use machine learning use ai within the business um and you know there's there are some you know again some quite quite simple things out out there um we we ran a a a state of sales survey uh a little while ago and 60% of the business development respondents to that said that they were still doing a lot of manual tasks, things like logging emails and, and logging calls and those kinds of things. And those are just not particularly valuable activities for expensive and professional resources uh, to be doing. So AI can come in to kind of take away some of that that drudgery and some of that um you know, I hesitate to call it manual work, but it is it is it is manual work, and and replace that and allow the organisation and the people to go and focus on the real value work with, um, with the with the clients um, directly instead, and you can see that at client level, you can see that at employee level, um, you know, using bots to to answer HR queries, these kinds of things. So, like I say at the start, you know, AI can mean something really really huge and. And scary when you, Matthew, you talked about the you know the the brain computer interface, and I forget exactly. I, mean, I think Musk is 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 doing something around this in terms of downloading your brain onto a computer stick. Well, you know, need need only a a, a small USB for for me, um, something larger for Matthew. Um, but um, but but we're a long way away from that. And actually, you know, using some using some technology to help take take as I say some of the drudgery out of work will allow employers and employees to go and focus on the real the real valuable stuff with with their clients and 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 teams yeah i was going to ask exactly that actually um on bots and robotic process automation of course um is very much coming into play uh now do you think um what does that mean for the employees are they are they are companies reskilling employees to hold on to them uh, and retaining them and upskilling them, or you know, are they just letting them go? I know there's a, there's been a, a you know, are robots taking over kind of scenario? Uh, what do you think about that, Matthew? Yeah, I mean that that, that sort of idea has been uh, well promoted, hasn't it? Um, but you know, I think my first point in response to your question here is 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 to focus on what can be achieved by pairing person and machine. You know, rather than seeing them as being inexorably in conflict or in some kind of attritional competition, which leads to some sort of end game where you know one prevails over the other, maybe I'm an optimist, but you know I, I prefer 
a more augmentative view of technology, certainly in, in the you know professional services sector. Um, and in fact, I like to take the analogy from the world of chess, not that I'm in any sense a great chess player, by the way, but you know, where you find combined human machine chess teams, the so-called centaurs, obviously named after the mythological half human, half horse. And, and crucially, in that area, it's claimed that the combination of human skills, such as intuition, with processing power at scale, produces a chess playing force that supposedly plays better chess than any one part of that combination could achieve in its own. So if you apply this here in today's topic, um, you know, are we going to see the age of the centaur professional? Um, so what does that mean? You know, what are, what are the, the, the skills of the professional in future if they are augmented by this fantastic array of, of technology? Um, I think, you know, it has to almost go without saying that core subject matter expertise will surely remain, if you like, some sort of entry requirement uh, that doesn't go away. But it's the, you know, where is the added value beyond that? You know, what are the more future oriented skills? And, you know, it comes back to that augmentative idea uh, that, I, that I mentioned. And perhaps, you know, I'd start with what feels like the most obvious new skill, you know, the skill around mastering technology's application to service delivery. So sort of going back to Richard's point, that seems to me no shortage of great ideas as to how you, know, you can deploy this technology in certain areas. And maybe we're already at the very thin end of the wedge of, of a, you know, a vast array of ideas that come through. But, you know, just as important as how you actually apply that in the business. Um, so, you know, people are going to have to be more digitally aware. Um, they're going to have to be competent data scientists, data engineers, perhaps. They perhaps have to have coding skills, et cetera. Those sort of skills that, you know, traditionally aren't found in this cohort. If you could continue along that spectrum of skills, um, you know, how how we optimize those new tech-based tools requires insight into, you know, enhanced process and project management skills and so on. Um, so a number of skills in, in, in that area that are, you know, a broadening of the, uh, uh, the, the role of the professional, in de you know, in deploying these these tools. And then, you know, that human side comes to the fore, doesn't it? I mean, one could say it already is the case. Um, how can one be professional without having, you know, great client skills, great EQ, emotional intelligence, that is. Um, but I think, you know, the, the emphasis on that, Eric, will only grow um, as, as people seek to differentiate themselves more and more with the increasing encroachment from technology in the more traditional heavy lifting areas. A controversial question for you. Do you think there's certain roles that will slowly disappear? like C-suite roles that will slowly disappear? Or are there certain roles that you feel that will be bolstered within a corporation? I mean, it would be a brave person that sat here and said no roles will ever be impacted <laughs> by this, wouldn't it? Um, yeah, yeah. I, I, just, I just do gravitate towards that slightly more opt optimistic view that um, it is possible to pair these things and create new value through that pairing. But I would, that's not going to work for everybody or in every situation, perhaps. But, uh, but I think that's, you know, that is the way to look at this problem from the professional point of view, not to look at it from the point of view of redundancy. Just just coming back to the talent point, though, um, Matthew, a couple of things I'd like to explore with you. One is, is academia um, set up for the next cohort of people that are coming out of university with the right skills to support growth? And, and secondly, how are companies starting to think about investment strategies around developing their people to have these new skills so yeah well i mean you know i, I don't have a perfect view of that Cully. Um, i mean i i i it's a real issue and I, I you you do hear about some institutions you know focusing on on that but i think um from my observation we're at an early stage in that process 
certainly a long way to go if one is trying to get to a position whereby your intake, you know, has a reasonably well-developed package of skills in the areas I've just described. I think we're, we're, I think we're quite a long way from that. And not least because I think it requires a more developed vision about what that full array of skills actually needs to be. And I think, you know, views are emerging on that, but aren't yet sort of universally adopted. So that's, you know, until that view is more settled, shaping the training and developmental inputs that support that, you know, will take some time. So I think we're, again, beginning... Is that, is, that a, is that a global thing, Matthew, or is that just something in the UK? Do you see other countries slightly ahead of the curve than where we are? Um, I, if, I, you know, I'm not aware of it, but that's not to so say they, they don't exist. Um, you know, maybe one of the listeners to this podcast can, can give examples of that. Um, I certainly wouldn't want to suggest that um, there isn't anybody further along that curve. I just, I, I don't see it particularly. What a great episode. I really enjoyed that. And there's so much more to come, Sarah. In part two, we're going to talk about talent and the evolution of talent and how particularly this sector is going to be looking at uh, increasing collaboration and how they're going to think about developing people. From Cully and myself, see you next time.